Welcome everyone. It's a pleasure to be here today with Martin Pezhemovsky, who is the energy attaché at the Czech Permanent Representation to the European Union. We're here in the Rude Peterson Public Affairs offices in Brussels. Uh, the presidencies, of course, have had a very challenging time this year in <laughs> dealing with the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, all the problems that that has uh, created for Europe Indeed. in general, but it has had in some ways some advantages that it has, I think, solidified European unity and brought Europe even closer together in some ways. On others, it's been difficult, but it, it has been very interesting. So, Martin, you are the energy attaché at the, Euro the Czech uh, permanent representation to the European Union. Can you give us a bit of an idea of how the Czech presidency is going to present itself? What are the main priorities of the Czech presidency over the next six months? You're going to have a lot to deal with. Indeed, in indeed, times. exactly. Thank you. Thank you very much for this uh, for this um, brief introduction. I mean, uh, the situation in which we are now is is um, very challenging. In in a sense, I feel that uh, we are actually traveling into the past. I mean, the coal is making a comeback. Um, then you go into the cinema, you watch Tom Cruise. Uh, flying jets, then uh, I'm almost afraid to, to open the window because a little Hindenburg could fly in. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, actually, I'm sure that uh, we are going to we are going to uh, get the, the hydrogen economy right this time. But uh, the things that are happening are extremely serious and uh, it's of uh, the highest concern uh, to all of us. And this is something that's uh, not relevant also for the energy sector, but for all sectors and uh, for the whole economy and society as such. Uh, you said well that uh, the challenges that the European Union is facing now are bringing us together. I think that uh, it's wonderful to see how uh, we are working uh, together in the Council, uh, together with the European Commission on drafting uh, the various sanction packages and we are moving forward uh, in a unanimous, uh, unanimous way, even though we have uh, our differences uh, and uh, we are to some extent uh, bound uh, by our national circumstances which differ from, uh, from uh, each other. Ultimately, the, uh, the cooperation works. It's always difficult, but it's al uh, always been uh, this way. And uh, the main thing is that uh, I think that we are going to maintain this momentum moving forward. Uh, and uh, we are going to succeed as the EU. We are going to be even stronger after the crisis than we have been before it. Mm. And in terms of the main Czech priorities, Ukraine is obviously going to be a big one. Exactly. Energy security is obviously going to be a big one, Definitely. I presume. Defense uh, and cyber security, of course. I presume, and economic uh, and democratic resilience in Europe. No? Uh, without a doubt, uh, the presidency of the Czech Republic uh, was going to focus on energy as such even before the crisis. Now uh, the status of this topic has elevated probably to number one. Uh, as for the Eastern Partnership and um, Ukraine, I mean, this is something that is very close to heart uh, of the Czech Republic. We have been, during the first presidency of the Czech Republic, uh, at the inception of the Eastern Partnership Program, together with the Swedish presidency. So we have always looked eastward while uh, deepening our ties with the West. And uh, we were trying to bring this expertise into Brussels ever since we joined the EU. So uh, now when this crisis um, started and uh, the Russian invasion um, forced us to rethink 
the uh, the priorities of the Czech Republic. It uh, was basically something that um, was natural for us uh, to to do because the topics that we will focus now during the Czech presidency are close to uh, close to our uh, close to our mindset and our heart or have been for mm -hmm. uh, for years. For many years, yes. And in terms of the progress that's been made under the French presidency, how will you manage the transition from the French presidency into the Czech presidency? And then we'll go on to discuss a little bit more in detail some of the energy uh, okay. files that you're going to deal with. It's uh, the French presidency is uh, is still is still going, so we are keep uh, keeping fingers crossed uh, for them to be as successful as possible. Uh, they faced a tremendously challenging situation because all the priorities they had they had to rethink them uh, basically on the on the fly on the spot, and that's never an easy thing to do because planning the presidency is something you do half a year, one year, two years in advance. So when uh, energy prices were low. When exactly. you, Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine, when exactly. sanctions weren't on the table, <laughs> it's uh, a very different set of circumstances they had to face, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, the way they are handling now uh, the, the crisis and uh, the presidency as such from the procedural point of view, I think is excellent. Mm -hmm. And uh, the general secretariat of the council is, is doing a great job. They are really, you know, Making that, uh, making sure that they are they are going that extra mile to to help the French presidency, and uh, the European Commission uh, is also doing their best to prepare such such an impactful document as, as the Repower EU mm -hmm. in such a short time frame. Uh, heads off, uh, heads off to them. Yeah. So uh, this is something that uh, is great to see for me as a, as a European, as a citizen and uh, also as a bureaucrat who's, who's working in Brussels. So this gives me the confidence that uh, the transition of power between the French presidency and the Czech presidency will be smooth and uh, it, will be, uh, it will be productive. Um, yeah, and I, I, I'm sorry to ask you to predict the future, but uh, always very difficult to do. But do you have an idea of what would be some key performance indicators for the Czech presidency at the end? What would you like to see achieved? And I don't mean just in the energy mm -hmm. area, but in general, because we'll go on and talk about energy in just a minute. Uh, the key performance indicators would definitely be the, uh, let's say, the, the cohesion, the unity of the, of the European uh, Union uh, as such. Uh, we will focus on keeping uh, the cooperation strong. We want uh, the economy to suffer as little as possible. Uh, we want um, the upcoming challenges that are connected to the energy supply. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm returning mm, to the energy f uh, all the time, but, but it really is in the heart of the question. Uh, but uh, we, will, we will try to make sure that um, the, the progress, the economic uh, story that uh, the European Union is going through is not going to turn uh, into a bad one, but it's going to be a story with a happy ending. Mm. And uh, it's, uh, of course, something that not it, it's not just in the hands uh, of the Czech uh, presidency. We will be very much dependent on the upcoming presidencies as well, because this uh, challenge that uh, is being posed by the Russian invasion into Ukraine and by the rethink of 
uh, rethinking uh, and um, refocusing of the supply chains. This is something that's going to be with us uh, for, for some time. And I think that here is something where the Czech presidency can play an active role as well, be it by the agenda setting or by holding some, some uh, interesting events that will be focused, for example, on um, the transition into the new era of uh, the new supply chains, for example, yeah. where we will no longer be dependent uh, on Russia, not just on oil and gas, but uh, also in other spheres uh, that, I mean, critical materials, raw materials that are essential for the energy transition. And uh, in this context, the Czech Republic uh, as a presidency uh, will be looking forward to cooperating with uh, the International Energy Agency for example, which is uh, doing a tremendous job when it comes to the critical materials, mm -hmm. uh, the analysis of the overall situation, uh, etc. And uh, they are also now at the forefront when it comes to the narrative on energy efficiency, energy exactly. savings. Uh, Ways to reduce uh, our dependence on Russian gas, exactly. Russian oil, etc. But you mentioned events, so can I just ask you briefly about the kinds of events that you're planning under the Czech presidency? If you're, of course, you're going to have COP27 in the midst of Indeed. the, well, not uh, in the midst, towards in, the end uh, of your presidency, but that's an important factor. Yes. Energy is an important element in COP uh, Again, discussions, of uh, course. Energy, so yeah. you, can you give us an idea of the kinds of events that the Czech presidency is um, planning? Definitely the, the COP27 in Egypt uh, that's going to take place uh, in mid-November is going to be one of the uh, one of the highlights of the of the events uh, i mean of the presidency it's it's not going to be a presidency event but uh, it's going to take place during the czech presidency which uh, uh, puts uh, puts us in a special position mm -hmm. so we are looking forward to that event uh, following cop uh, we will be holding uh, some uh, intriguing uh, conferences in uh, in prague uh, that will tackle the energy transition from uh, various uh, perspective um, one of them will be focused on research. It's the set plan conference where among the topics uh, that will be discussed um, is uh, is going to be uh, or one of the topics that uh, the conference is going to touch on is uh, is um, new uh, energy sources and uh, for example new uh, skills that will need to be acquired by people that will work in the energy f uh, sector in the future. Uh, especially when it comes to uh, the energy sector um, of uh, or the sector of nuclear, the nuclear technologies, etc. Speaking of nuclear, back-to-back uh, -back, uh, event with the set plan conference will be the NF, which is the European Nuclear Energy Forum, that's held um, every year uh, biannually in uh, in Prague and uh, Slovakia. We are going to hold it hold it this year in in November, and. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, also something where we could talk not just about energy as such, but we will touch on a much broader range of topics than uh, purely you know electricity and hydrogen generation. Mm -hmm. It will be about skills. It will be about uh, the transparency of the nuclear sector. It will be about um, maintaining the trust uh, in the technology as such and uh, the role of nuclear energy uh, going uh, going forward uh, in the yeah, which has been identified future. already by the Commission as one element that will exactly. be needed in the energy mix in order to get to net zero by 2050. So exactly. for the, those countries that continue to have a nuclear yes. energy interest and, and will keep nuclear energy in their energy mix, it's going to be an important element. Yes. Let me discuss now a little bit with you uh, the energy files in particular. 
You've gone through all the discussions about sanctions. We've seen coal sanctions, then oil sanctions. This is in the context of Russia, of course. Yes. You've talked also about the importance of the economy. We're facing rising inflation, the possibility of a recession. We don't want to see sanctions that will hurt the sanctioners more than the sanctionee. Indeed. Gas is going to be a very difficult discussion. Already oil was a difficult discussion. Can you give us an idea of how you're planning to go ahead with the legislative files and perhaps touch a little bit on the sanctions first and then we'll go into the files in particular? Sanctions are a topic that is, uh, that is extremely political. You need to think through each and every step that you, uh, that you are going to put on the table as a, as a member state. Uh, it's, it's really an art uh, to craft the sanctions in a way that they hurt, or as you, as you put it very well, the, so that they don't hurt you more than, uh, than, is, uh, than is proportionate or, or necessary. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is uh, something that needs to be taken in the overall context of the economy, uh, which is now um, undergoing a sort of um, difficulties that are connected to the rising interest rates, the high inflation, and uh, the uncertainty of the outlook. Um, nobody really knows how far, or it's, it's, it's challenging to project the, uh, the severity of uh, the economic impacts of, uh, of the sanctions and the, and the Russian invasion onto the European Union. So um, in a context like this, drafting the sanctions is no easy task and that's why it's so amazing that uh, we have been able to agree on so much in such a short time mm. frame as the European Union. Looking into the future, we will need to think about um, the remaining uh, items or products and substances that we are importing um, from, uh, from Russia and we are going to we are going to have to be creative uh, in uh, in finding a way that's that's um, that helps Ukraine somehow. Yes, and but uh, but yeah. also by reducing consumption in Europe, exactly by energy efficiency. Thank you very of much. Of course, for <laughs> then will bring us to energy performance of buildings directive and energy efficiency directive, which you're going to be looking after in particular. And of course, buildings are quite a big contributor to carbon emissions in Europe. You have a perfect opportunity now to push for the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive. The Commission yes. in its Repower EU has proposed to have more solar panels, to introduce heat pumps. Here's a perfect opportunity for you under the Czech Presidency to push this forward. No? Uh, you're absolutely right. It's an amazing opportunity and uh, it will be exciting to be, to be uh, a part of it and uh, to have uh, the opportunity to advance the file uh, into its uh, final stages uh, from what is apparent that uh, the French presidency will not be, uh, not be able to conclude the general approach on the EBBD. So it will be up to the Czech Republic to try to push uh, and to find a consensus within the council uh, on the final version of the text. And, and where do you see the main challenges there? Where are the... Uh, it's a, uh, the file as such is, uh, is very ambitious. Uh, it's um, very brave, uh, I would say, and uh, it forces us to rethink uh, the, the way we approach the building stock, possibly triggering the, the change of a magnitude that's probably totally unprecedented uh, when looking into the future. Uh, the EPBD 
file as such is uh, a result of uh, long years of preparations. We had uh, the Commission communication on the renovation wave, then we had the Council conclusions on the renovation wave, which um, agreed that uh, we should aim at doubling the renovation rate uh, in the EU in order to contribute uh, into the decarbonization. And do you think that high energy prices will be a further stimulus to push this forward? Because in the past, these efforts have not been as successful as we would it's like true. them to have. It's true. Um, renovations are, are tricky because you need a lot of manpower uh, or a lot, of skilled, a lot of skilled workers. Indeed, indeed. Mm -hmm. But uh, there is a trajectory uh, th that needs to be respected. Uh, the buildings of the future, the, the zero emission buildings and the nearly zero energy buildings uh, that are defined uh, in the EPBD, uh, they are going to be totally different from the buildings that we know now. And uh, the workers that will be constructing uh, these buildings uh, will be also totally different uh, than the ones from uh, from uh, that we've been uh, accustomed to. The same goes for the education of these workers. And uh, this brings significant challenges for the member states that will be implementing the targets that we set here. In Brussels, we need to make sure that any target that we put on paper is actually achievable. And um, that's, uh, that's why the debate within the Council is uh, so exciting, because uh, you have uh, each and every member state producing their own and their own analysis mm -hmm. uh, of their own building stock. And uh, we are crafting each and every article so that it really fits uh, the EU as such, because when it comes to the um, renovation of buildings, you have to make sure that uh, the things that you propose in the legislation are proportionate, that they respect uh, the principle of subsidiarity, that they respect the national constitutions uh, exactly, of each Exactly, because much state. of this is done at local and regional level as well, I suppose. Indeed, exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is why this is why this file uh, is generating so much interest. And this is why I'm always open to hear uh, input from stakeholders, because it's really important that we get this one right. Mm -hmm. And um, parallel... And increase the number of charging points. If you may remember, the last time around, this was one oh. of the problems. <laughs> the it's number true. of charge electric charging points was reduced significantly by the council, if I may remind you. I'm sure you remember that. Let's talk about the Energy Efficiency Directive. Then. Where do you see uh, progress there? Because the Commission also mm -hmm. in its Repower EU has proposed to increase yes. the target from 9% to 13% by 2030. Do you think that's possible? Uh, how will the Czech Presidency try to move this it's, forward? Um, it's a very interesting thing from the purely procedural point of view because the European Commission decided not to take back its original proposal but they mm -hmm. filed basically a parallel proposal mm -hmm. to the uh, to the Fit for 55 package. So Which will keep the lawyers busy for many months I'm sure. Lawyers and uh, PhD students mm -hmm. uh, of EU law etc. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to to read uh, you know in 10 years mm -hmm. all the the analysis when when uh, we will have enough material published out there because now the discussions I have to say that are taking place uh, within the uh, within the Brussels bubble on how to approach the repower EU they are very, uh, very exciting and you have a very, very uh, wide spectrum of opinions on how to advance uh, further. As for the energy efficiency as such, it is going to be one of the key tools how to limit our dependence on uh, fossil fuels in general. 
and um, the revision of uh, the directive brings into the game new elements such as the energy efficiency first principle which was mentioned in the governance regulation uh, in 2018 but it wasn't really uh, wasn't uh, we didn't have detailed guidelines on mm -hmm. how to proceed now it's solidified directly in the in the uh, proposal on the EED so this is something that for example is going to push the member states into rethink uh, rethinking how to invest uh, into infrastructure projects, how to... And the private sector as well. And, and the private because sector. Because now it's more interesting for the private sector to invest in these areas, I think. It is true. Because they it can see true. the returns will come in a shorter period of time than before. It's, At least the true. prices as they are now. Uh, it's true. Uh, it's true that private sector now is, is more interested in energy efficiency than ever. Um, you see it definitely on the consumer side, where now it really makes a big difference. Uh, each and every jowl of energy, whether you consume it or not, makes a difference on your balance sheet, which makes it very exciting for mm. the CEOs and uh, CFOs too. And do you think there will be some interesting new research and innovation areas, new ways of finding uh, we more are, efficient We are counting resources. on it. We, we depend on, on research, we depend on uh, new skilled workers entering the market. Uh, we depend on new, new, uh, new paradigms, basically how to how to approach the energy efficiency as such, because this is something that has been with us. The topic of energy efficiency has is not new. Uh, if you if you take a look into the scientific uh, production or let's say the the volume of scientific articles on energy efficiency and energy savings you see that um, there was a massive massive increase of the volume uh, in the 1970s during the when oil first prices increased dramatically exactly the first oil, oil shock the yom kippur war and then the second uh, oil crisis so uh, the interesting thing is that in mid 80s the literature on the energy efficiency and energy savings has decoupled and the energy efficiency has continued being scrutinized and, and uh, researched, but the energy savings, uh, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm wondering, wondering what it is, and uh, I, would, I would be looking forward into reading some analysis on, uh, on why, why that happened, purely the, mm -hmm. the analysis of the discourse, why we maintained speaking about energy efficiency and didn't speak as much about the energy, energy savings. savings. And I think that now we will have to again um, make sure that um, the uh, the research and the efforts on energy efficiency and energy savings converge yeah. and so part of this is informing consumers and making sure consumers understand how yes. they can apply these things what to do i think some of the work that the international energy agency did on reducing gas consumption reducing oil consumption were very useful but i haven't seen them diffuse so broadly amongst uh, the average consumer. It's true, it's true. And uh, yes, the Article 21 of the Energy Efficiency Directive uh, has a lot to say about informing uh, consumers mm -hmm. and uh, empowering them through information. And uh, you can argue that uh, energy efficiency is partly a communication issue and uh, that we will need to rethink not just the policies, but also the th ways how we are talking about energy efficiency, because this is something that could play a large role in the future. And um, the in, um, yeah, uh, IEA plays a great role in making energy efficiency more popular. It's also a great platform where we, as the European Union, can cooperate with other 
countries that are like-minded and that are not uh, part of the EU. So we're sitting in Brussels on a sunny day, which is not every day, but even on days that are not very sunny in Brussels, you can generate a lot of electricity from solar panels. Can you tell us a little bit about the renewables uh, directive and the update again, repower EU has proposed an increase in the target, even even more yes. ambitious target from 40%, 45% renewables by 2030. How do you see this going forward? Again, with putting solar panels on houses, increasing heat pumps, uh, making sure renewables are even more efficient, integrating better into the grid. How do you see this file it's, going forward? Um, it's a file that um, will have significant impact on how the energy mix of the European Union is going to look like in the future. The proposal to increase the target to 45% is a very ambitious one and um, there will need to be some flexibilities for the member states if we are if we are to ramp up but the production. But it's a new target. It's, it's not true. specific it's to each individual It's a, It's an EU target uh, with a lot of sub-targets and um, it, uh, it touches a lot of uh, sectors, which is why the debate is um, very complex. Um, the sub-targets on the renewables in industry, the renewables um, in uh, the residential sector, it's also something that's uh, tackled um, by the directive. Then you have the debate on the low carbon fuels, for example. Mm -hmm. So this is also something that touches a lot of national interests of a lot of member states. So that's why uh, the thought process that's going into these provisions that are that are there uh, is very very um, I would say multi-layered, mm -hmm. and uh, the outcome of this is going to needs to be needs to be solid because the European Parliament is going to come uh, very strong uh, into the trilogues, and uh, that's why the Council cannot afford to have any any uh, blind spots yeah. that could be exploited. But here too, I think permitting is going to be a really important aspect for the exactly. council in particular, because this is where a lot of progress can be made and you can influence your local, regional and national authorities to make sure that they improve and advance their permitting requirements, which is again something proposed by the Repower yes. EU. Yes. But we've spoken a lot about energy efficiency and renewables, gas, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your point of view, is going to be with us still for quite a few years. Uh, gas storage is going to be an important uh, factor, even though we're going to reduce our dependence on Russian gas. Mm -hmm. A lot of work is going into finding gas from other sources, more international discussions. Can you tell us a little bit about how you see gas storage uh, provisions over the next six months, the methane strategy, international relations to improve EU gas accessibility and diversity. Gas is going to stay with us for some time and uh, we need to make sure that uh, we are thinking about all the ways how to make uh, gas decarbonized. For example, that's uh, that's one thing that's going to be very important. And a big part of this story is the hydrogen economy. So this is something that the Czech presidency is going to be interested in to elevate the debate uh, on the hydrogen economy, to possibly hold some events uh, that could advance the discourse and bring stakeholders together, find out uh, what uh, what's, what are the possible outcomes uh, and how to play the cards that we have. And um, if we get uh, hydrogen right, uh, then uh, the next thing is um, 
the biomethane, for example. It's also something that's going to help us decrease our import dependence. And uh, it's something that could create um, new jobs, new, new sectors and uh, new companies that could then employ people. So this is uh, something that we need to think, uh, think about while crafting the legislation on natural gas that we allow for new sectors to, to thrive and uh, that we are not too restrictive, that we maintain the technology neutrality. This is very important. And uh, of course, methane and also natural gas is something, as you said, that has a strong external dimension. The European Union tries to be a leader in, uh, in um, energy policies as well as climate policies. So to have ambitious methane uh, legislation is going to be very necessary into the future. The question is uh, to which extent uh, we'll be able to advance this file in the context of the other gas files mm -hmm. and uh, the remaining, the, the repower of uh, EU files yeah, and the Fit for 55. And um, what is also very important is to maintain the dialogue uh, with uh, the neighboring countries of the EU going forward and uh, to let them know what's the thought process uh, behind crafting each and every piece of legislation on natural gas because the countries uh, that are that are important for us that are reliable partners they need to know that their business case that their business plan that they have with developing and transiting natural gas that uh, this is something uh, that, they can, uh, that they can count on so martin at the beginning of our conversation you talked about the eastern partnership there's also the energy community of course with the six uh, western balkan uh, states ukraine georgia moldova yes. another very important uh, group of countries for uh, Europe plus the uh, European Economic Area, which involves Norway, Iceland and Liechtenstein. And of course, all those countries in one way or another adapt and adopt EU legislation on energy. And so it's really important for them too to see that EU energy legislation is profound, robust, sustainable and can be implemented. And they take, I think, a lot of courage in knowing that the EU is, is making progress in, mm. in these areas. Will you be doing something more about interconnections with those countries as well? Because both with gas and electricity, this is going to be an important area for the neighboring countries. Indeed, uh, this, is, uh, this is going to be very important going forward. And um, there's, uh, there's a lot uh, where, I mean, a lot of a lot of initiatives that we can build on uh, into the future and uh, that we can craft uh, so that they become more complex and uh, more intensive uh, when it comes to for example the interconnection uh, with ukraine we are now advancing uh, in a, in a this is electricity interconnection yes indeed uh, in advancing uh, in a manner which is uh, completely unprecedented uh, looking into the future and the interconnection with ukraine uh, has been uh, active for quite some time but only in a very limited space uh, there was the uh, the Burstein Island uh, interconnection uh, which was basically literally like an electricity island within Ukraine that was connected to the EU but uh, after the the, the invasion uh, um, together with uh, the TSOs and uh, and so e we put together a plan how to facilitate the technical interconnection between the whole Ukraine 
and the European Union and uh, it's been a great success and uh, we have managed uh, to do so uh, in a very very uh, limited uh, time frame under extreme pressure so this is one of the examples of a great cooperation and fruitful cooperation that's helpful for both sides not just for the European Union but also for the for the Eastern Partnership this is um, something that we can uh, we can build uh, this experience is something that uh, we can share and uh, we can um, implement uh, the lessons learned into the future while uh, keeping the energy security of the eu um, untouched uh, and unaffected and uh, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great uh, success uh, this project and it can continue into the mm -hmm. future if we will uh, one day hopefully implement um, the commercial interconnection mm -hmm. that would be that would be a step further now yeah. it's just technical but uh, there's still room to progress and uh, there's interest in both parties to cooperate in this manner and uh, it is something that would help not just Ukraine but also the EU because mm -hmm. we need um, as much uh, as much interconnection with our partners as possible due to the fact that um, the undergoing energy transition in the EU member states uh, is creating uh, a lot of a lot of um, dynamics and a lot of volatility that needs to be somehow mitigated and size is one of the ways how to mitigate volatility indeed so Martin, thank you very much. The Czech presidency in 2009 faced certain challenges and you will face even more and more complex challenges in some ways, I think, uh, in the next six months. We wish you the very, very best. I'm sure in your capable hands and the capable hands of your colleagues, you will do very, very well. I'd like to thank you very much, Martin Pezhomowski, uh, the energy attaché from the Czech permanent representation here in Brussels who has been talking to me. I'm Megan Richards from Ruth Peterson Public Affairs here in Brussels. We wish you all the very best and look forward to seeing you. Perhaps we can speak to you at the end of the presidency. And Definitely. You, when you'll give your Swedish uh, colleagues some advice on how to do things. Sounds perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. It was, very, it was a pleasure. Thank a you. pleasure for us too. Thank you. Thanks.